All right, peeps, let's get this out of the way right off the bat. The Yankees have just not played well since the All-Star break. They lose again yesterday in a gentleman's special, as they say, in Seattle, limping into Boston. I am not happy. Good news is it's August 11th. This is Market Call. I am Guy Adami. I am always joined by Dan Nathan. And in just a few minutes, you know it's Thursday. I don't have to tell you because you know already. EY from SoFi. EY is so fly from SoFi. Today's <laughs> episode is brought to you by FactSet, financial data and analytics powered by tomorrow. SoFi, Dan, get your money right all in one app. And of course, we're powered by Open Exchange. You could tell I'm all hopped up on the Mountain Dew. I got my tie on. I am ready to roll, ready to roll, You ready to roll. You are all knotted up. Guy, I have to tell you this. In Seattle yesterday, it was 10 Club Day. It was the Pearl Jam Fan Club Day to out to see the Mariners at Safeco mm. Field where they gave really good pricing and a very cool Pearl Jam-themed T-shirt if you were inclined to go. And it looks like the Mariners took your Yankees to the woodshed there. Listen, man, let's get into the markets here because I think I, we got a couple we got a couple got a couple viewer comments to address here. Oh, I like okay. This. You know, we're just gonna get real with this thing here. Okay. So last night we were talking about that rip in the market on CNBC's fast money. When we were doing market call 24 hours ago this time, okay, we were talking about what was in store here. It was a pretty broad-based rally. There was nothing really to kind of like, I don't think to poo-poo, you know. We didn't agree with why the market was ripping. If you think about that CPI reading, it wasn't that exciting. Didn't really speak to the fact that eight and a half percent year over year CPI was enough to take the you know what down here. But you said something on Fast Money, and our friend Tom Sweeney at Jersey Hoya on the Twitter, he kind of tweeted it as it was happening. Guy, did you see what he said? He goes, You said this that the warnings don't go away because the market goes up. And we had just talked about how the, we started the week out with NVIDIA and Micron. Speak to that a little bit. You know, it's remarkable. If you talk often enough over the course of a 16-year period, almost by definition, <laughs> you're bound to say something that's quasi-intelligent and happened to oh, me yesterday with All that right. comment. And I want to thank Tom Sweeney, Del Barton, and Georgetown grad. But it's true, and I think you would emphasize that as well, Dan. Just because the market's going higher doesn't mean the warnings are going to go away, and we've seen them in spades over the last couple of weeks. Obviously, Micron being the last one, but it's not going to be the final one by any stretch of the imagination. We're going to continue to see this, I think. And look, yesterday's market rally absolutely caught me off guard. From the middle of June, we thought that the market would rally, but I didn't think it would rally to that magnitude on what was, yes, a softer-than-expected number, but we're still talking about 8.5% inflation, which is n nothing to write home about and still almost four yeah. times what the Federal Reserve is looking for. So there's still a lot of obstacles in our way, I believe. And this 4,200 is a logical place to sort of take a powder. Well, listen, I mentioned this last night on Fast Money, too. 4,200 is the exact midpoint, basically, of the 2022 range. We topped out at 4,800 on the second trading day of the year, January 2nd. We got almost down to 3,600 there. So here we are. Who knows what's going to happen You know, from here on out? I mean, I think we talked about it a little yesterday. Without a Fed meeting, with data that might not be as bad, meaning as hot as people mm -hmm. might expect, you could have a continued melt-up on that, you know, and which brings me to a 
another tweet from a viewer, and we do appreciate all viewers watching, listening, and responding to what we're doing here. This is from Jignesh. He says, "Pardon me." Jig, his name is he's at Jignesh okay. no, Shroff, number two. Okay, he said, "I don't think we actually got a straight answer today on the call. Disappointing. Literally a few days ago, Guy Adami and Rich Russell—that's me, Dan Nathan—were on, the, and they're saying we're going to see new lows." Message. Now you guys are ambiguous at best. And so one of the things I'll just say is like, listen, markets change every minute of every day and they're moving around. Guy and I had been steadfast that we were going to see 3,400 at some point this year. We put some numbers behind it where we thought S&P earnings were going to end up and what a multiple should be on that. And you know what? We got to 36. 30 or something like that or whatever. Since then, Guy, I will tell you flat out, and we also have people say, well, why do you guys spend so much time giving each other shout outs about what you're doing or what you're saying and what you got right or what you, you know, listen, you know, you got the 3,600. You called for a rally. You were saying 4,100, 4,200. I didn't think it was going to get there. We're here. We, we reserve the right to change our minds. You know what I mean? We speak every day on the markets on market call monday through thursday we tweet we're on fast money most nights during the week we have podcasts and everything like that we're about as transparent as you get people so as far as i'm concerned i'm not being defensive right now i'm just saying like you know you can't just cherry pick one thing that you hear one week and not the other we're here we're doing it every day and listen tweet at us email us hit amanda whatever we're we're we're, you know we're gonna give it to you yeah and i'd like to amplify that you know my father tried to get me to be ambiguous when i was younger he thought it'd be really advantageous he was a big mickey mantle fan and he thought that if i'd be able to sort of hit from the left side I'd be able to do a lot of great things. It never really worked out for me. So I wish I was ambiguous at best. Unfortunately, I'm not, Dan. Yeah, well, I thought, you know, you meant amphibious because you are one heck of a swimmer. You know what I mean? You know what? You didn't see that? People don't think that. It's actually true. I mean, I actually can swim. It's shocking. You want to please continue. You brought up the swimming, not I know. Let's talk. I have a wetsuit, by the way. And just, I know we're (laughs) short on time. But I have the wetsuit with no arms, so I look like Yeah, because, I mean, some of our viewers know this, that Guy Adami, 10 years ago, when he was in his 60s, ran a full triathlon, a full triathlon, the New York City Triathlon in 2012. He completed it. You're a stud. You know that that was the thing when I went from thinking that you were a bit of a, you know, a bit of a buffoon to just a guy that is just going to, I'm just going to look up to every day. So massive shout out to you there. All right, let's talk about the S&P 500 really quickly. We're still up about 22 handles or so, Guy. We're off the highs from earlier. You see that very steep uptrend that we have been in over the last, let's call it, three weeks or so. You see the 200-day moving average up there. Again, let's not be ambiguous. Where do we think we get to? And do you think we break that uptrend? If we break that uptrend, I'm thinking 3,800 is the next stop. I think we're going to exhaust ourselves. And I think today might be the day we talk about in weeks to come. I've said that a couple times, but it certainly feels that way. At one point, by the way, the NASDAQ was negative and it just has a weird feel to it. I will mention this as well. We don't have a chart. We don't need one. But if you're in front of your Google machine, check out what HYG has done today. Yeah. Opened on the highs and it's slowly been giving it back all day. Now negative as we sit here and speak. So there are a lot of warning signs without question. And I do think people are a little just too enthusiastic at these levels. Now, I will tell you, Liz for a while now has been saying, you know, she thinks this market can continue to grind higher. I'm curious what her thoughts are as well. But I'll say this. I think this is where we exhaust ourselves, and I think this is where we take the next leg lower. And again, I think what you're going to see over the next couple of weeks, especially if the market holds in there, more and more Fed officials coming out saying exactly what we heard yesterday. One day or one set of data does not a trend make, and we're still sort of steadfast in our belief we have to combat 
inflation. They're telling you everything you need to hear. For whatever reason, the market's choosing not to listen, at least not yet. Yeah, no, fair enough. All right, let's look at the three-day chart there because there's a couple gaps over the last couple of days that I think are important here. And I think, Guy, you would agree that that 41.20 level from the close from two days ago is probably the next gap that would be filled. And that was that little flag that was being made you know, after last week's consolidation. I think that, again, near term, that would be kind of where I would be looking. And you may want to press. If you kind of get that gap fill, you know, maybe you go from 4,100 to 4,000 kind of quickly. I want to bring up this guy and I follow him on Twitter. You guys should follow him too. He's a great follow at Macro Alf. He also has the Macro Compass newsletter here. And Alf. Alf. He is just Alf. And he's over there in Europe. He and I have DM'd. We slid into each other's DMs once. But I think it's important to remember that, you know, again, if you believe that the economy, okay, gets worse before it gets better, which I think, and you know, a few weeks ago, I guess near the lows in June, I said, listen, you know, I'm more bearish on the economy than I am the stock market, right? But now after this move, I'm much more bearish on the stock market near term than I am the economy because we have a lot more data and we have a good sense of where the Fed or how they're positioning a little bit. But the point that Alf makes here in this tweet from earlier today is that during 2000 and 2001, which was an epic, epic bear market, the NASDAQ had seven or more 20% plus rallies there. So when you look at this NASDAQ guy and you look at that level down there at 13,000, you look at that 200-day moving average you know, up there just below, let's call it, I don't know, where is it? We're not far away from that. You see the support level. Do we get there? That would mark at least you know, a 25% rally or so from those lows in the NASDAQ. 100. I don't think so. We've gotten there. Obviously, Apple's had that big run from, what is it, 129 to current levels. Amazon is bounced. Google, to a certain extent, is bounced. You throw Tesla in there, although I think Tesla's going to start to give it up. And I think, again, NASDAQ's going to exhaust itself as well. This is this chart looks pretty similar to the S&P chart. And again, very defined downtrend that we've been in since December, sloping downward moving average, which is not going to slope upward anytime soon. And I think the market does exhaust itself. And I think yesterday on a very decent volume day, followed by today, if the market reverses today, I'll say it again. I think this is a day that you're going to bookmark and come back to in the months to come and say, you know, it was that Q11 when EY from SoFi, Dan, Nathan, and Guy did market call that the market topped out in the short term. So that's what I'm thinking here. And I think these names are going to exhaust themselves, Dan, Nathan. Yeah. So real quickly, before we get to Liz, I just want to kind of highlight the macro compass. This is Alf's newsletter that I just mentioned here. He's basically throwing shade at the soft landing narrative guy. Mm -hmm. He says it seems misplaced. A soft landing implies a market slowdown in inflation while growth remains robust. That's what I think what he takes issue with. While the direction of travel seems right, lower inflation, growth cooling, towards trend, the evidence points toward a rather steep drop in economic activity and not a measured and controlled slowdown consistent with the, here it is, buddy, the Goldilocks theme. Grim, forward-looking economic indicators, negative real wage growth for one and a half years in the reach of credit card debt to bridge the purchasing power gap, multiple job holders accounting for the most job creation since March. Okay, you get the point. He's throwing shade. What's your take here? Well, I think he's right. I think he's smart to point that out. He's being agnostic in terms of his views on the market. He's just pointing out the obvious that, hey, despite the fact that the market's rallied here, nothing has really fundamentally changed. Inflation has cooled a bit, still talking about eight and a half percent, and growth is slowing. And you can see that all across a number of different industries. So, and again, those things don't straighten themselves out overnight. And the warnings that we're hearing from semiconductors, just a matter of time before we hear it from some of these other names in different industries. And it's be interesting to hear what we hear from many of these industrial companies that are probably facing the same 
headwinds. So we'll see. I love the name Alf, by the way. And if anybody ever Goldilocks my ass on Twitter, I'm going to block <laughs> you. I'm just telling you now, don't do it. If you want to be blocked, that's a guaranteed block. That and that stupid Tina thing. Back to you, Dan. Oh, the Tina thing. <laughs> oh, man. Oh, that man. Just, I tell you something. I can't even tell you. It makes me crazy. It makes me nuts. For some, The other thing that may, and we're, listen, it's going to be amazing because we're going to be there like that. When people start asking me, are we going to see a Santa Claus rally? I swear to God, I'm going to lose my mind. Anyway, please, man. <laughs> Wait, lose your mind more. All right. You hear her chuckling, guy. Let's just do it. It's time for EY from SoFi. Hi. Oh, if I don't there. use the word gold, can we talk about like the three bears? Can we talk about porridge? Well, when you have me, Carter, and Dan, that's that's exactly what we typically have uh-huh. on a Monday and a Wednesday, uh-huh. for that matter. Uh-huh. So, yes, well, luckily, we... I'm here today, and it's not three bears. No, but before we start, you look like you're headed somewhere. I mean, call me crazy, but you have that sort of look like there's something happening in the next few like hours. Like I'm going to a concert? This is the one thing standing between me and live Lady Gaga in New Jersey? Yes, that is a fact. That is a fact. That is fantastic. Now my dog's... Shut those dogs up. (laughs) (laughs) Guy, literally, you have like, you just have a whole like group of dogs. Also, guy, wait, the ambiguous, I think you meant ambidextrous. Oh, is that what that, is that what my father was trying to get? Maybe that's why I Hitting from both sides of the plate. Yeah, ambidextrous, left and right. So, so guy, Liz obviously doesn't watch the Fast Money program on at five. This has literally I been like sometimes. a 27-year a, a running joke of, of just guy <laughs> mixing up words with more than four syllables that actually look very similar but mean totally different things. Is that fair, guy? That is fair. And that's why I'm not a member of the IC because, you know, I'm just – I haven't reached that level yet. Anyway, back to you, please, Dan, before I – All right, let, let's do this thing here, Liz. Give, give us a little thought. <laughs> Uh, you you heard what we were just talking about, like this kind of, you know, yesterday, you know, was risk on, right? Like it was on, you know, in general, soft landing. What what does that all mean to you? And when you think about just the macro alf, you know, what he had to say about, you know, just the likelihood that we're going to see, you know, really bad economic data before it starts to get better here. Just thoughts on that generally. I have a lot of thoughts on this. I know this is only a 30 minute program, though, so I'll <laughs> I'll do my best. Okay, first of all, yesterday was an absolute face ripper. And I think this rally in general has actually been a pretty big face ripper. I would agree that in the short term, I think equities probably have to give a little bit back because we went so far so fast. And it was mostly what we would call multiple expansion, meaning just the price went up for really no fundamental reason. Now, there's probably people out there that would argue with me and say that, but the fundamentals of CPI and inflation got better. Okay, they got a little better on the margin, and maybe we can confirm or start to confirm that we peaked in CPI. But the fundamentals of those underlying names, and those names are what drive the market, did not really change. In fact, some of them actually got weaker. So I do think that this rally is a bit much. However, the thing that I would ask both of you is just because this rally is a bit much, maybe we give a little back. I'm not going to put a number on it and where we might stop on the downside, but that doesn't necessarily mean that we have to have something catastrophic go on. I actually think, and I have been saying this since the end of July, I wanted to wait out July. And then in August, you start to get back into the market Mm -hmm. and make sure you're in by the end of summer, because I actually think that there's a decent chance the Fed pulls this off. I know you're going to think I'm crazy, but I think there's a chance. And if we get inflation down 
to a level where we've made enough progress by the end of the year, then I think we're in better shape. Now, if we don't get it down and we go into 2023 with inflation that's eating into profit margins, so on and so forth, then yes, absolutely. But I think a big recession call is more of a 2023 phenomenon at this point than a 2022 phenomenon. And it's also possible that in the third quarter, we get a positive GDP number. And then you're going to hear a bunch of people say, oh, see, it wasn't a recession, right? But that doesn't absolve us from going into something worse later. It's just that I actually think that there is a chance this ends up working. The real question is, what's the definition of soft landing? I don't know that we're all using the same definition. No, I think, I mean, I think for market participants, we look at it through the lens of what's happening in the NASDAQ and the S&P 500. For other people, they look at it through the lens of what's happening with GDP, employment, all those different things. I, to your point, it's different for everybody. I'll say this in terms of the pullback. You know, we just mentioned, Dan just did, that 4,200 level we're at is a 50% retracement of the all-time high that we saw, obviously, late last year, early this year, and this recent low. So it stands to reason, if, in fact, this is the level to stop at, 3,900 would then be a 50% retracement of this high here and that 52-week low of 3,600. So that makes sense to me. Now, obviously, I think Dan and I think we overshoot that. And I'll stand by that, although I, I hear what you're saying. I mean, maybe they can pull this off. Now, the one caveat is they haven't started reducing their balance sheet yet. So yeah. let's see what happens when that begins, if in fact, if it does begin in September. Yeah, well, the other thing I would say is I want to be clear. I'm not saying that GDP growth ends up being robust or that it ends up being above trend. I think it's below trend. I think we're in that kind of 1% to 2% range on average for a while, and that might be for over a year or until we get inflation back down to call it two to three percent, which I'll talk about the ranges of it in a little bit. But and I don't think that it's a, a situation where we don't have bad economic news. But something that we've been talking about for the last few months is that we know there's usually an order of events, right? The market yeah. is a forecasting mechanism. So the economic news still needs to come in weaker. And that's kind of to be expected. Yeah, I just, you know, again, the stock market is a forecasting mechanism. When I think of like concentration, you saw that stat that Apple, you know, at its percentage of the S&P 500, nearly 8% is the highest of any stock ever. I, I think it's becoming less and less so. And I think that, you know, you're seeing people crowd into some of the biggest names. And I don't think looking at the S&P 500 as a barometer of how, you know, like corporate earnings, I know that sounds maybe really stupid or the broader economy is as useful as it was, let's say 10 or 20 years ago anymore because of those concentrations and because of the massive monopolies that those companies, right, that they have. And so if you're telling me, Liz, that we're going to be below trend in GDP and we're going to have be above trend in inflation, all I can think is that we talk about peak this, peak that. Well, we had peak corporate margins then, okay? And if we have this stagflationary environment, it's just not going to be a great environment for stock market returns. And Guy, I want to kick it back to you for a second because you bring up this point all the time and I think you make a great point. This year, when the S&P was down 23 24% from its highs and the NASDAQ was down about 30% or so, none of it felt a bit panicky, right? It felt like kind of orderly, and there was a lot of headwinds, I think, to global growth, to growth here, to corporate earnings. You know, all, the list goes on and on and on, right? But, but then it feels like days like yesterday felt panicky on news that, I don't know, it seemed pretty consensus to me. Now, it's interesting you say that because I actually brought it up a number of times over this year that the moves to the downside, at least until recently, felt orderly. These huge moves to the upside are those that felt panic to me. I will tell you, though, the one panic sell day was the day after 
that June Fed meeting. I think it was June 16th when the Swiss National Bank that evening raised rates unexpectedly by 50 basis points. That day definitely felt panicky. Oddly enough, it turned out to be the low that we've seen for quite some time. And I do think this buying in yesterday, to me, I don't want to say it felt panically, but it definitely felt like indiscriminate, which is, I guess, one standard deviation away from panic. And we'll see how it plays itself out. But that's sort of the observations that I've made. And we'll see if it holds water over the next couple of weeks. Yeah, I maybe not panicky. It felt like we declared victory, right? Mm-hmm. It felt like yeah. the market just said, oh, we're everything's fine. It's going to continue going down. We're going to be okay. And we can't declare victory with CPI at 8.5%. Right. Well, I, I think the jobs thing is the one that, you know, we really haven't been able to reconcile yet. We had that really hot July, you know, number, and then we just see continuing claims starting to tick up. And I think at some point we might see the pendulum sort of shift again, especially if companies continue with, you know, some of the layoffs, that sort of thing. You know, rationalizing costs, this is something that we're going to hear continually for the back half of the year, even if the Fed does pivot. All right, Liz. Let's talk a little bit about, though, positioning at this point, you know, because you feel and listen, you've been saying this for weeks now that you should be in the market like a lot of the market has been de-risked for all intents and purposes because we did come off that zero interest bound. Right. And Guy made the point. We have not started, you know, really in earnest kind of like rolling off that balance sheet. And that's one of the reasons why he and I continue to think that that could be the thing as it works itself into the market. Thoughts on how to be positioned right here after after this big run? So a couple things. It's not that we won't have another stab downward. It's possible that we have one in September, October. We all know that they tend to happen in September and October, right? And the, the September Fed meeting is probably a big one. But I think that if we do have that and it feels panicky, you buy that stab downward. And the reason for that is I, I always have to sit back as a strategist and say, what have I been saying for six months? Do I still feel that same way? What was my outlook at the beginning of the year? Is it playing out the way that I wanted it to? And for the first half of the year, I was pretty cautious and telling people that a bigger than normal cash position was okay. At about mid-year, it started to feel like, well, I can't, I can't be out of the market for the whole year, right? So at what point does the risk reward make sense? So then we start to melt upward and the positioning piece of it though, to your point, Dan, the names that are the biggest in some of these indexes are still the big tech names. I'm not a huge bull on those names. I think that they move based on a lot of different factors, some of which are macro, some of which are just idiosyncratic to that particular name. So I started looking at sectors and where are certain sectors priced after this rally, after that June 16th low, where are certain sectors priced in comparison to the rest of the index? Some of the ones that are still attractive that would offer growth opportunity, things like communications, right? And some of the names in communications have taken it on the chin, absolutely and deservedly so, but there are still quite a few in that sector that can pull their weight through the end of the year. They didn't participate in this rally nearly as much. Healthcare has still been a big position for me and something that I continue to see opportunity in. And financials, I think, can continue to work here through the end of the year, just given a capital position. I'm not too big on defensives. I think that you can probably leg into small caps, shocking, I know, but thinking about just having enough risk on and even something like consumer discretionary, which is not priced below the index, but could be the growth engine that gets us out of this instead of some of those big tech names. I like what you did there running with the bulls. I actually wear a lot of Patagonia, so it it sort of resonates with me, the whole running with the bulls thing. And 
I've been to Quiznos as well. They make great <laughs> sandwiches. So well done. I dig your note. By the way, I see Quiznos, Quiznos. I think of Quando, Quando, Quando by the great Engelbert Humperdick. Guaranteed none of you people have that on bingo. But let's take a look at that Russell chart, Dan, because why the hell not? Liz, is she's positioned herself as small cap queen. Well, we're right up against it, though. You look at this, we're right up against a moving average. So to me, this is where you're taking money off the table, not necessarily adding. My sense is you feel the same way, though. Yeah, I mean, listen, you know, that that the kind of gap today, you know, we got above that kind of 2000 level for the first time since I think mid-April or so. And here we are. We're well off the highs. We're still up on the day. We're seeing, you know, outperformance relative to large cap indices. I, I'm kind of with you, Guy, at its highs today. It was up about 22% from the lows and just below that 200-day. Just So from a trading perspective, I don't think if you missed this whole rally, this is where you want to start going into small caps. But I think Liz's point is a very good one about you want to be exposed there when you think about early cycle sort of plays coming out of a recessionary period. These are names that should do well. They don't have the exposure to the dollar and all that sort of stuff. So, Liz, is that kind of your thought process here? Yes, it is. And the other thing is whether whether we agree with the logic or not. And I said this on CNBC, I think, a couple of weeks ago. I think the market is going to start to be satisfied with the path that inflation is taking, regardless of the absolute level that it's at. So if the trend continues to be downward, especially if we get three consecutive months of month over month declines or the first time that we see a negative month over month print, right, which we got actually in PPI today, there was a negative month over month print. So the first time that that happens, the market is going to be satisfied with it and likely melts upward because of that regardless of the fact that we're still looking at whatever it may be, 6 7% CPI, right? So that's why you want to make sure that you have enough risk in the portfolio that you can take part in some of that upside, even if you think it's irrational. We have a short term. This is a very Carter Worth chart we're about to show, but it illustrates some of these gappiness, Dan, Nathan. You yeah. love this stuff, and maybe you can speak to this. No, I, but I, I guess what, what you and I try to do, Liz is never going to get this granular as it relates to markets. You know, we are the fast money guys, but what, one of the reasons, I mean, gaps are very important, right? Consecutive gaps are really important, and filling in gaps, the, like the, the, the exact opposite of that, you know, kind of shows that kind of waning momentum, and you see this thing come so far, get that close to its 200-day moving average well before the S&P and the NASDAQ, it might be the exact exhaustion point. So let's see if it fills in that first gap and maybe it gets to the next one. All right, let's rip through a bunch of things here, some single stock names. And Liz, maybe you can kind of speak a little bit to the broader sector here. I think this was interesting. Citigroup downgrades Lowe's guy. They're warning investors to brace for an earnings miss in a housing market as the housing market slows. Now, interestingly enough, they don't report for a week. And you know, when you have major investment banks kind of warning about the thing that might happen, especially after a big move, you know, you don't always get that sort of move. And I just wanted to kind of mention that, you know, there's another article up on CNBC Pro this morning talking about the wild swings in mortgage rates. And there was a a big move as mortgage rates had come down after that huge move over the last few months. They saw some really good activity as it relates to refinancing. Where does some of that refinance money? Well, it might go to Lowe's. It might go to Home Depot. So, guy, thoughts there. You see the downtrend that had been in place since Mm -hmm. early this 
year here. We just bounced off of it really, you know, in mid-June at that point in which you were calling for a bit of a rally. Really nice breakout above that kind of downtrend channel here. But if we do have a miss and a guide down here and rates do stay Pat, do we see lows come back in all the way to that lower bound of that trend channel? I like this call. Now, I, I don't know. I, I don't know who the analyst is, but I can sort of get inside his or her head. This is something they probably been wanting to do for a while. Then the market got away from them, and this bounce has given them the opportunity to make this call. Stock has bounced from the 170-ish to current levels, 201 or thereabouts. So I definitely like the timing of this call ahead of earnings, and I think it makes sense. I mean – if we were to look out uh, over the course of five or 10 years, Lowe's was on basically a one track to the all-time highs we saw. Obviously, earlier this year, it sold off considerably. It's not cheap, though. It's still not cheap. Yeah. Neither is Home Depot in this environment. So I like this call. And listen, who's to say that Lowe's and Home Depot are not going to fall under the same problems that Target and Walmart have found themselves yeah. with? So. We're going to find out, obviously, in the next week or so. Yeah. Liz, just talk to us a little bit about how you're thinking about home builders in general. And listen, we threw up the XHB ETF, which supposedly tracks the home builders, but some of the largest components of that are retailers, right? And they're also home builders in there. And just to give a sense, you know, Lowe's is the 10th largest holding, where William Sonona is the second largest holding. And then a bunch of the actual home builders are in there. They're, you know, three, 4% weighted. So this is a broader kind of housing sort of play here. What are your thoughts on this sector right now? So one thing that I want all the viewers to be aware of is when you watch mortgage rates, they track the 10-year treasury much more closely than they track something like what the Fed is is planning to do in the next three to six months. So when you have a rally in yields in the 10-year treasury, you're going to see mortgage rates fall. Now, I don't think that the 10-year gets super high from here, given some of the recession fears that are just going to kind of linger under the surface. That refinancing activity that happened I don't think we're going to see another bout of refinancing. It was pretty exhausted before this. So I still think that the housing market is going to cool. A lot of these stocks, including the home builder ETF, have already corrected quite a bit. My issue with them is that I think they're going to be kind of stuck in a range. I don't know how they're going to find a ton of upside from here yeah. as the housing market cools. And home prices are one of those things that are going to be a really lagged sort of falling down piece of inflation. So I don't know. I don't have a super yeah. strong opinion here. I'm certainly not a big strong well, guy. Well, I, I guess the point is if the Fed is successful and what they're trying to do here is that housing should be weaker, right? And so yeah. maybe that's not one you kind of want to wade into right here. All right. Last thing before we get out of here, you mentioned consumer discretionary. You know, Disney kind of encapsulates a lot of different things that are going on in consumer discretionary, you know, travel, the parks, but also their media businesses and then their streaming. And I think it's interesting, guys, you know, we were talking about Disney last night as it came out, their earnings release and the guidance that they put up a good quarter and they yeah. saw really some pretty decent strengths across all their major businesses. They did guide lower for subs, okay, which is for the Disney Plus thing. Thoughts on just discretion and they raised prices on Disney yeah. Plus. So just, I, just curious thoughts now, here. Look, you said fade the move last night. You were right. I still think there's a chance Disney continues to grind higher and gets back to sort of their historic valuation of, you know, 25 times or so, which, you know, in terms of Disney, it's not unreasonable, especially since they now have more subscribers than Netflix. I thought for a while, by the way, that the sub business is a bit of a loss leader and it sort of fits that whole spoken wheel business strategy that they've incorporated. It makes sense to me. But today's price action on decent volume is not going to be good, especially if we start to close on the lower of the day. So I think you're right to point out last night that you're not chasing it. I still like Disney here. And the parks number was excellent. So 
I think there's something to sort of hold your hat. And as you know, Dan, Disney is the D in my Dawn trade. In your Dawn. All right, Liz, real quickly, just on discretionary, what you took away from that print, not specific as it relates to Disney, but 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 maybe how that U.S. consumer is kind of holding up here. Well, I, even just specific to Disney, I was surprised that they got so much positivity out of the subs number. I kind of expected that whole sector to be breaking down everywhere, but evidently it's not. So look, there are going to be parts of consumer discretionary that are going to be pressured clearly by some of these shifts in consumer behavior. But I would tie this in with communications as well. Some of these names, especially the ones that are involved in media and some of that content creation, I think there's going to be a pretty strong M&A cycle that goes on through the end of the year, maybe into 2023. We see some consolidation. And that, of course, is going to mean downside for some. But I also think that it could mean some upside and good cost cutting synergies to use a corporate word for a lot of companies there so there might be opportunity can i tell you something i love thursdays typically because thursdays are just a great day i love them even more because the three of us get to spend 32 minutes together opining on the market and having a little bit of fun if we could go back quickly to liz's original slide dan because you might help me with this I see she did like Uno, Dos, Trace. That reminds me of a U2 song. Didn't they start their song Uno, Dos, Quattro, Catorze? Uno, Dos, Trace, Catorze. That was, yeah, that was on their Vertigo album, at Guy. I think it was about 2004 when that came out. So thank you very much. And I will tell you, you know why I remember that? My daughter, Alexandra, who both of you guys know, who just turned 19 years old. I was, at a, I was at a concert in the summer of 04 on that tour where Bono opened up with that song Vertigo and he used to say that and people would say, well, that's not proper Spanish. And I bought my little daughter at the time. She was one years old. I bought her a shirt that said Uno, Dos, Tres, Catorze. And now she's 19. She's going off to college uh-huh. next week, guy. Madness. How time flies, my main man. Happy like birthday, that. Alex. 19 years flies. 32 yeah. minutes freaking flies. Yeah. Engelbert Humperdinck is still fly. As I pointed out earlier, <laughs> EY from SoFi is fly. I know I am. I will not be at Lady Gaga tonight. I'd rather stick pins in my beep than go to that. But hey, you never know. Maybe Brad Cooper, though, will show up with Huma Abedin. Oh, I can only, I can only hope. By the way, Brad Cooper, a graduate of Georgetown University, for you playing our home game. But that's it for Market Call. I want to thank our sponsors, Facts at SoFi and Open Exchange, that we are, in fact, powered by back on Monday. Have fun in Bradley Beach. Have fun at MetLife Stadium with Lady Gaga. Dan, I'll see you on the set of Fast Money in... Three and a half hours. All right. See you guys. Thanks, Liz. Have fun. Be safe. Bye, guys. All right. See you later. Of course. Bye.